crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and talked. How many of us in this room would admit that we've done something embarrassing that we wish no one would ever see? Raise your hands high. All right. Wow. It's, it's kind of weird. Like when we do something embarrassing and then later on we think about it, we still kind of feel it, right? Um, it, it, it's crazy because the world that we live in now, everybody has a cell phone, right? And they can take video of this stuff. And so when you do something stupid, it gets recorded for posterity is real, right? Um, or security footage as a possible example. Um, I did something kind of embarrassing recently, and I thought the wisest thing to do is to show you guys. You okay with that? All right, I want you to take a look. I was in a hurry to get out one day. I needed to make a phone call. This is security footage from our lobby. And uh, I was trying to get this call made. Oh, now... In my defense, there was this, um, as I was walking toward the window, there was this woman walking up, and she was smiling at me, and she had this cute little blonde girl, I don't know, four or five years old, and the girl just smiled, you know, and I was like, oh, bam. (laughs) For some reason, every person I've showed this video to has laughed. I'm not sure why, Um, but I want to go back and show it in slow motion, because I want you to see just how hard my head bounced off the window, so take a look. Boom, boom, boom. Look at that, boom. Ah, oh, it's crazy. Man, it hurt like heck. I mean, it was, it was super embarrassing. The lady, she rushed in and she goes, oh my God, are you okay? And I was not okay, but I said I was okay because I was embarrassed. I was like, oh, it's just a phone and I just got to go. And I bailed. And uh, I was stunned and I was embarrassed, but it also cut my lip. And uh, I I. I heard my tooth hit the glass when it happened. I heard it. Um, But beyond that, it gave me a full-blown concussion. Can you believe that? And I spent about 10 days in a fog. I was driving a few days later, which I probably shouldn't have been, just to give you an idea of what my brain was doing weird stuff to me. I turned a corner, and I looked, and I saw a gorilla on a street corner. And I told my wife, I said, there's a gorilla on the street corner. And she looked out the window, and she looked back at me, and she was like, Okay, and I looked again, and it was a black street street light. That's all it was. But my brain sort of superimposed a gorilla for some reason. So if I, if you hear me scream and run off the stage, I saw a gorilla. So that's what was happening. You're probably asking, like, why are you showing us this? Well, uh, I wanted you to know that I have a brain injury today, and I'm still struggling. It's it's been a bit of a challenge. So I wanted you to understand why this sermon's going to be three hours long. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. But seriously, though, I'm, I'm showing it. it. Yes, it is funny, but, but because I want to make the point that we've all done things that are embarrassing. We've all done things that we wish no one else knew about, and we work really hard to hide those things. And then on the other end of things, we, we've all put on a facade for other people to look better than we are, don't we? We, we do these things to make us look like we've got it all together when we really don't, and, and we've all done things in between those two spectrums. 
We've been in this series where we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, and man, what a provocative, challenging series this has been. And today what I want to do is I want to look at the words of Jesus where he addresses this, this idea of putting on a show for others in order to, to make ourselves look good. And I want to see what he invites us to do as we practice living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus as we talk about the kingdom of God. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to look through a few verses here together. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Then I want to skip down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their face to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Uh, um, And your Father who sees what is done in secret will what? Reward you. What a passage, huh? It's really interesting. A few observations. This starts off with the phrase, what? Be careful. Anytime we see Jesus saying, be careful, we should pay attention because it means we might be in a place where we're about to walk into the danger zone. So he says, be mindful of your motive while you're practicing your righteousness. A couple of chapters earlier, remember, um, Jesus said, be perfect as, your, as, my, as our Father is perfect, right? And that sounds really intimidating. I don't know about you. If someone says, be perfect, if Jesus says, be perfect, is that intimidating? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. But he wasn't setting the bar of perfection or righteousness that he intended um, for these people to instantly attain. It's like, well, follow Jesus, and now you're perfect. Some people, when they choose to follow Jesus, they think that's what they're supposed to do, is instantly be perfect. He, he's not saying that. That would be too oppressive. So this idea of practicing your righteousness was a, a way of conveying that we should be doing the things that work out becoming who God invites us to be, moving towards looking more and more like Jesus. Maybe it's, 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 uh, it's practicing your righteousness. It's righteous practice. It's, it's practicing being holy. So Jesus comments assuming that they are practicing. Notice that. He doesn't say, if you give, what does he say? When you give. So he's assuming that they're doing that. And we got to remember, Jesus wasn't speaking into a vacuum or just trying to sound religious or a religious teacher. He was speaking to real people in a real culture that had real expectations on them. And giving and praying and fasting, those were ways of moving toward holiness, of showing that you were holy. And this didn't exist just in Judaism. It exists in almost all of the major religions of the world. As, as a matter of fact, uh, giving to the needy and praying and fasting are three of the five pillars of Islam. So it wasn't unique to Christianity. It was something that was sort of expected. If you were uh, moving toward righteousness or, or piety or holiness, you would be doing those things. And so he was speaking to very real things that people did in order to feel like they were holy or feel like they were measuring up to God's standards. And it's really important that we understand that, that he wasn't condemning uh, giving and praying and fasting. 
He was commenting on what happens when people do it for the wrong reasons. And so in this passage, we see him sort of walk us through those things. Don't do it this way, but do it this way. Why was he doing that? Why was he even addressing this? Well, well, there are three reasons I want to kind of point out. One is it was a very stoic culture. It was a culture where you did hide your imperfections. You certainly didn't want to look like you didn't have your stuff all together. Anything that had the appearance of having all together, you don't want to show that side. It was also a religious culture that was very formulaic and prescribed what it looked like to, to look holy. And so if, if the church is saying to you, or if your religious leaders are saying, well, do these things if you're holy, then it was a culture where people felt pressure to do those things. Does that make sense? Pray. If you want to look holy, pray. And if you want to look holy, fast. And, and make a big deal out of it. And if you want to look holy, give publicly. And so, so it was assumed you would be doing those things to look holy. And people would assume if they see it in you, but then you clearly must be holy. And then there were the hypocrites that he talked about, the, the super religious people who they went over the top. They wanted everybody to know that they were doing these things and that they were holy. And the reason they were doing it was to get accolades from people. And Jesus was emphatic about the true reward for doing those things with that motive. And the reward was that you would receive approval of others, you would uh, receive the admiration of others, and if that was what your goal was, well, then that's what you got. But that's all you got. And Jesus was saying it's sort of a, a flash in the pan, a short-lived reward. So maybe bringing it to a modern-day perspective, we just had an offering. Could you imagine if at the beginning of the offering, you know, the ushers are ready to go down uh, the aisles, and someone pulled a trumpet out, and, and they played it, and then they pulled out one of those huge, like, checks. You know those checks, like, if you win the lottery, and you're on the press conference, you have know, the giant check, or if you have a business, and you're donating money, and it says, I'm giving all this money, and they brought it down, they came down to the front of the church, and they showed it, and then they were like, come on. That would be weird. That would be really weird, and, and just, just in case you've been kind of thinking about doing that, you might get tackled by someone on our safety team. It sounds a bit ridiculous, but it's not so far off from things that people in our culture do. I mean, there's, there's the one side where many of us, we stuff things down. and We do whatever we can to, to hide the, the real us, the brokenness, warts and all, from other people. Um, things we don't want others to see. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I showed him this video. And he said, how'd you get that? I said, I went home, I logged into our security camera, and I recorded it so I could show the church. And uh, he said, this is what's different between you and me. I would have logged in and deleted the video, right? <laughs> and now that I'm saying that out loud, that's a pretty good idea. So, pretty good. See, some of us, we do that. We get in a fight on the way to church with our spouse, and we're screaming bloody murder, and we're threatening divorce, and all this sort of stuff. And then, magically, when we pull into the parking lot of the church, bing! I mean, we are GQ family. Children look perfect. Come walking into the church, punching behind out. Hey, everybody, good to see you. We do that, right? A lot of us, we spend so much energy trying to look perfect for others because we think that's what's expected of us. We post memes on Facebook that sound really holy and spiritual. For some of us, to look holy, we raise our hands and worship. And if you grew up Presbyterian, it was you keep your hands below the chest. If you grew up like I did Baptist, it's even with the chest, one palm up, one down. If you're charismatic, it's a fully exposed armpit, right? There are rules to raising your hands. So do those things to look really good. Or sometimes maybe we say to someone in person or on Facebook, I'm praying for you. That's almost become an empty phrase because most of us, we don't. We say, oh, I'm praying for you. 
but we don't actually do it, right? And I can, I'm guilty of that too. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, after we do all of this work, we get a pat on the back and someone affirms us, that looked holy, you look holy, wow, you're spiritual. And that does something deep in us. It lights a spark in us that, that every time then we get the accolades for looking religious, looking holy, looking like we have it all together, it's like an addiction cycle that we have to do more and more and more. And it's, it's crazy. Why do we do this? You know, giving and praying and fasting, those are all portals to true communion with God, but they're also great ways to get patted on the back. And our motives in religious circles this is true, can get twisted really quickly. I mean, we can do a lot of things to appear that we have it all together and to receive the applause of others. And we measure, am I okay by those things? So I look to see how many likes that I get on Facebook video or the thing that I posted. How many people come up to me after the sermon and say, wow, that was a great talk, Pastor. How many people affirm like when we're trying to keep up to the Joneses and we have the new car and the new house and, and whatever it might be? How many times do we measure our worth by those things? And all too often, we do those things because it seems like the right thing to do because we know people will praise us. Remember the proverb, it says, before every person lies a road that seems to be right. What does it say? But at the end of that road is death and destruction. We live in a world that's so driven by approval and achievement that people will go to endless lengths to attain those things, and it becomes this addiction. But the reward, Jesus said, the reward for that, if my, uh, my motive is for approval, then that's all I'm going to get. But pushing deeper for just a moment into why we do these things, why we seek approval, why we seek to look like we have it all together. I believe that we all, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, have this suspicion that something's missing or broken within us. And I believe that the image of God within us, no matter how marred or scarred or smudged by the brokenness that's within us, has a longing inside to move toward wholeness. I believe God put that within us. And so we go to great lengths to fix what doesn't quite feel right within us. It's, it's almost like we don't feel okay with ourselves or with others or with God. And so we go through these great links. And, and Jesus is sort of trying to tell us that if our motive is wrong, if our motive behind those things is wrong, it's always going to lead to pain because the, the reward is short-term. And if our behavior is wrong, if the things we're doing to practice our righteousness are wrong, that, that we feel trapped, we feel fake, we feel empty, and we chase methods to feel okay. And so we move from one theological camp to the next. If I just go to this camp, they say I should worship a ton. Oh, that didn't work for me, and so I better find another way. So I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to read my Bible and pray every single day. And we go through the motions of religiosity. And we just wake up sometimes and go, gosh, I'm exhausted. Are you with me? Jesus wasn't content to let us stay that way, and I'm so thankful. So he addresses these practices that really had the potential to be portals to union with God, but some people were doing in the wrong way and with the wrong heart and therefore received the wrong reward. And he reframes what a healthy motive looks like. He talks about the father sees the approval of the father. Look at what he says. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And so the motive, he's saying, should be a reward from the Father, not the approval of people, right? And I'll unpack that here in just a second. And then he reframes what a healthy behavior looks like. He says, do this in secret. 
And he gives this kind of weird analogy. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. He's not literally saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's using that as sort of an extreme metaphor to say this should be private. He's not saying don't pray in public. Um, God clearly calls the church to do this. He's not saying don't give in public. He's saying your behavior should be that of an intimate connection with God, not a public display intended to earn the approval of others. And so Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, in his sort of radical, subversive, going against the grain of the thinking of the day, um, he invited people to think and act differently for the glory of God, for their wholeness, and ultimately what? For the renewal of all things. And he used this example to sort of grab people and shake people out of their mindset of this need to perform. And he invites them into deep communion and intimacy with God. That sounds a lot better to me than the short-lived 15 minutes of fame. How about you? So that's the ultimate reward. And I want you to listen to what one of my favorite authors, Robert Mulholland, says about the reward that Jesus invites us to. He says, Union with God results in our being a person through whom God's presence touches the world with forgiving, cleansing, healing, liberating, and transforming grace. The world will not believe in Christ because of our sound theology, our correct creed, our well-defined dogma, our, listen, our rigorous religiosity. The world will believe when it sees Christ's likeness manifested in our life. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to that, I want that, man. I want that kind of union with God. Have you ever known somebody who just seemed to be on fire connected with God? That's what I want. I want others to see that Christ-likeness manifested in my life. And so, so Jesus' invitation, listen, was to move away from performance and achievement and trying to measure up and trying to do rhythms and practices that made them look holy but left them empty inside and invited them into joining with him in the kingdom work of renewing all things and enjoying communion with him. And so this idea of practicing our righteousness, it's to do the things that help us take steps toward ultimately getting what we long for, which is communion with God and wholeness. And Jesus is saying, we don't have to go through this endless parade of doing things to feel like we measure up. We can be with God and practice taking steps to be like Jesus. And Christ's likeness will come into us. And people will see that and see the power and the glory of who Jesus is. And so I'm going to give you the big idea, and then I'm going to unpack how we're going to get there. Here's the big idea, and I would just encourage you to write this down. Communion with God doesn't come from doing everything perfectly. Look at me for just a moment. We all need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. For those of us who are perfectionists and we want to get it right every time and we self-destruct and we can't, you need to hear this. Communion with God does not come from doing everything perfectly. We know we've all tried and failed. It comes from pursuing God faithfully. Do you hear me? That's good news. So if we pursue praise from others to fulfill that longing in our heart, we're always going to experience emptiness in the end. But if we pursue communion with God, we're ultimately going to get what we seek, which is to feel okay with ourselves, with others, with God, and to experience wholeness and the joy of living in communion with God. And listen, imagine a church filled with people who drop their pretenses, said, I'm not going to pretend anymore. You're going to see the good, bad, and the ugly, but we're working together. We're practicing our righteousness together in grace. Imagine how powerful that would be for a city that so desperately needs to hear that a Savior loves them. 
And I think that's the work that God is continuing to do in our midst, and I'm so happy to be a part of South Fellowship Church. So if Jesus is inviting us to this different kind of life, a, a life where we live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus, the kingdom way, well, how do we get what we ultimately want, which is communion with God, restoration of our heart, and wholeness? What I want to do is I'm going to give just four things in the rest of our time together um, to help us pursue experiencing communion with God as we practice our righteousness. And let's start with the first one. And this is sort of a no-brainer, but it's the one that's so easy to miss. Seek the heart of God and his kingdom, what? First, seek the heart of God, God's kingdom. See, someone once said that, the, that the, the Sermon on the Mount is sort of a manifesto of what living in the kingdom is all about. It's like the values of the kingdom. Jesus is unpacking um, what's most important, the kingdom of God. Bless you. And these people who were the hypocrites, they had the wrong motive. They were seeking the applause, the approval of others first. But Jesus was saying, no, 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 seek the kingdom of God first. See, we can, we can try so hard to do everything right and try to look good so maybe God will love us. But Jesus is saying that these practices of giving and praying and fasting, they can either be a portal to communion with God or what? A pathway to destruction. And it really all comes down to motive. And the, the Sermon on the Mount is building toward Matthew 633. We've all heard this since we were little kids, but hopefully today we can walk away really getting it. What does it say? Let's read this together. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you too. He's telling the listener in that passage, like, don't worry about your house and your car and your food. Don't worry about the approval of others and what everybody else thinks. Seek the kingdom of God's righteousness. And listen, everything that you need, you're going to get. See, if you're chasing it for the approval of men, what you really want is to feel okay, to feel like God has restored you, that the brokenness is empty, but you'll never get it that way. But if you set your intention on seeking first the kingdom of God, you'll get everything that you need. And so if we, if we move toward Jesus, it's about setting our intention on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, being more like God, letting Christ-likeness, sanctification, if you will, um, begin to happen in us. And our mission statement, living in the way of Jesus, with the heart of Jesus, it's not just some cheeky phrase we came up with, we thought it looked good on the wall. We really think it embodies Jesus' call to live out the kingdom now. And the best thing that, that any of us could do would be to pursue Jesus deeply, to, to really spend time trying to get to know his heart, to get to know his way, and to take steps every day to walk in that. And, and for some of us, that means that we need to start every day just setting our intention before we, our feet ever hit the ground, right? Setting our intention on making um, our motives chasing the kingdom of God and doing it for God's glory and not our own. You know, maybe some of us need to write this passage, Matthew 6.33, down on a sticky note and put it someplace that we're going to see it constantly just as a reminder to ask ourselves, am I doing it for my kingdom or God's kingdom? Years ago, I had the, the immense privilege of uh, traveling around the country and around the world leading worship, and I got to lead worship in front of thousands of people. Um, I got to make some CDs. It was, a, it was a great adventure, and I had a couple of friends who were nationally known worship leaders, and, and one of them is probably uh, the most well-known worship leader in the United States. You would know this person if I were to say their name, and because I had a relationship with them, and I was doing my thing, I started paying attention to what was happening to them, and how their songs were ending up on the radio, and how they were playing at larger and larger events and selling more and more CDs. And so at some point, my wires got crossed, and I sort of um, started making success about how I compared to them. 
How many CDs am I selling? How many people are coming up talking to me after an event going, wow, that was amazing. I got to go to Europe, led worship in Europe from people from 18 different countries. Man, I'm, I remember being at that, and it was a really neat experience. And going, wow, I must have really made it. I mean, I am in Switzerland rocking it out here. This is great. And one of those two men wrote this song called Nothing Left of Me, and I, he gave me a copy of this record, and I was listening to it, and the Spirit did something deep in me. It, like, cut through all the junk that I was telling myself, my own little bubble. It says this, Strip away all that remains for your glory and your name till there's nothing left of me. Burn the kingdoms I have made that you would shine and I would fade till there's nothing left of me. Oh, I mean, just nailed me. And I realized that I'd been trying to build my own kingdom instead of pursuing God's kingdom. And I was chasing people knowing me and money and all of these sorts of things in Jesus' name. And I just realized that it broke me to my core. I realized that I had been doing all this to build up my kingdom. But really, the reason these people were so successful is it was all about Jesus. They were truly seeking first the kingdom of God. And God was giving them all of the stuff that they got, not so that they would look like rock stars, but so they could continue to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And so seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness is really a matter of setting our heart's intention and choosing to make it about Jesus' way and Jesus' heart. And listen, it's real easy to get sideways on this one. And if we do, then all the other things we do really won't matter because we're not doing them for the right reasons and our behavior will start to shift. I can promise you, I've been there. So I would just ask, how are you doing this? How are you doing at seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? What's one thing maybe that you need to do this week in order to make this a focus in your life? Think about that. The second thing, uh, we should engage in healthy rhythms and practices. So first, we set our hearts focus on Jesus and his kingdom, right? And second, we engage in healthy rhythms and practices that, that move us toward righteousness, that develop us more and more into who God created us to be. And sort of to help you answer the question on this quiz, what are some practices we could engage in to move us toward righteousness? Jesus, I just want to be like, Jesus gave us the answer key in this passage. So let's listen. It's giving. It's what? Reach over to your neighbor's hand right here and put your finger. See if you feel a, a pulse. That is a pulse. Let's see if you're alive. Three things, giving, praying, and fasting. Those are things we could do. The scriptures talk a lot about practicing and training, right? 1 Timothy 4, 7 tells us, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths of talking as sheep. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Practice is important. You would be a fool for saying, I am now a marathon runner. I have never ran a day in my life, and I'm going to sign up, and you get to the starting line, and the gun goes off, and you're off to the races for 250 yards. Right? There's a reason why people with amazing physique still run a ton every day, building up for the marathon. That's the life that Jesus has invited us to. Remember, be perfect. It's as you're moving toward perfection, right? There are different types of practices. There are corporate practices like what we're doing right now. Did you know you're doing a practice right now? The scriptures say, don't forsake gathering together regularly. You're doing that. You're here. Yes, I at least check one off the list of practice, right? 
um, corporate prayer and fasting, um, even the church calendar and how we journey through Advent or Lent or things like that, those are corporate practices. Or individual practices like prayer and solitude and fasting and giving, meditation, reading the scriptures, those are all individual practices that we could undertake. I'm really bad about when I get excited about something and I realize I need to get better at this. I go like all in. Anybody else like that? Like go crazy. Like I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to change the way I eat. I just go crazy about changing the way I eat. I start working out, just going crazy. And then I end up hurting myself, right? Or I get really sick and then I just give up, right? Back to the couch I go. That's not what I'm saying, okay? My challenge for you is simply this. Just pick one or two things, one or two practices and start. I'm not saying from now until Jesus comes back. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this week, what are one or two practices you could put in place? And some ideas directly from the scripture there. Giving, you could start giving if you're not giving. You don't have to give a ton. Just start giving. Be consistent. Consistency is the key, right? Praying. Just try to pray every day. Fasting. Consistently read the scriptures. Meditate. Be consistent in corporate worship. Like, come on a regular basis. We, we actually like... Most of you, we like seeing you here. <laughs> we have a list in the back you can pick up of who's on the approved list and not, but just kidding. We want to see you here. So the question is, what are one or two practices you could put in place this week to help you as you practice righteousness, to help you live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus? The third thing we can do is really important, and that's listen to the nudge of the Spirit. Listen to the nudge of the Spirit of God. This is where it gets really personal. We should all be uh, seeking first the kingdom of God. We should all be engaging in some kind of rhythm of practices, but this is the part where it gets really personal and it could be hard, right? This one is about what the Spirit of God's calling you to do. Did you know that the Spirit of God cares about you uniquely? That when Jesus talks about the kingdom, if you think about a kingdom, it's subjects working together. Not just a few people, but everybody has their part. And God's wired all of us with the unique gifting and background and socialization and all those things. And the Spirit, listen, if we will listen, the Spirit will nudge us and give us a job to do. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, what? For the common good. See, we all have a role to play in the kingdom of God. And so many of us abdicate our part because we feel like we're not important enough. We're insignificant. Or maybe another reason we abdicate is because we think kingdom of God is like some someday thing. I'm just going to hide out until Jesus comes back and makes everything right. I don't think that's the posture that God is calling us to. That's not living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Living in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus is using how God's uniquely wired us to make a difference, to partner with Jesus in the renewal of all things, to help move things toward shalom, not hiding and just talking, but doing and listening. So Part of our role is to listen and to do away with distractions, those things that keep us from hearing that little whisper from the Spirit saying, do this. And for some, uh, maybe it's just talking to people that you don't normally talk to. Maybe the Spirit says, talk to that person. For others, God may call you to uproot your lives and move somewhere else. For others, it's serving uh, in a very specific way. One person is our brother Ed sitting right here. Uh, has started an entire organization. You may have seen Facebook posts and Instagram posts. Has started an organization called Me Too What Now? And there's a movement called Me Too. People have been abused by others. And 
His question was, well, what happens after that? I mean, I could save that, but what do I do to empower and equip others? It's a huge undertaking. I mean, he's had to learn how to do video and edit video. He's traveled around the country. He's going to be shooting a documentary. He's got a book he's working on. He's doing all these things that are probably things he never dreamed in a million years he was going to be doing. But the spirit was like, Ed, I want you to do this thing because there are hurting people. And he just said, in obedience, he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to start doing it. And he's taking one step and taking another step. And he's starting to get feedback from people going, I need this. And it all started just because he postured himself to just listen to that voice from the Spirit. For some of us, it might be simple what the Spirit calls us to do. Others, it might be complex. But no doubt, part of practicing righteousness is positioning ourselves to listen to the nudge of the Spirit. The Spirit will call you. The Spirit is trying to speak to you if you will listen. So maybe on this third thing, maybe God's call for you right now is to figure out where am I schedule am I positioning myself to listen? Where am I stopping? This is something I'm terrible at. I've, I've said this before in teaching. I, I go 400 miles an hour. I have one speed. It's 400 miles an hour. And I feel like for years, God's been saying, like, slow down. And I'm like, yeah, I will someday, right? And uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to Ryan about this. I'm like, I just really feel like I've got to focus on resting in this season and just getting quiet and listening. And then like two days later, I got really sick for like three days. I'm like, Lord, I, I already know. I've already told you I'm going to do this. I'm on my back. And then I got over the sickness and I jumped right back in. I got 400 miles an hour. And then I smacked into a plate glass wall. But it, it really works. The tempered glass, that's, that's no joke. It does not give at all, friends. So the Lord's working on me in that. I'm having to slow down and just listen. And I will tell you, for almost two weeks of having a concussion, it's really messed with me. But for some reason, like, I feel deeply connected to God. I think it's because I've just been forced to slow down. The Spirit's whispering some stuff. It's kind of freaking me out. But it's good. And we all need to do that. So we start with prioritizing pursuing the kingdom of God, right? And then we, we engage in some practices. And then we listen for the instructions from the Spirit. And then here's the hardest part of this. You ready? The fourth thing. Have the courage to obey the spirit. I tell my kids, clean your room. They say, I will. It goes on and on. I come back to them, clean your room. I will, right? There's a disconnect between do this and actually doing it. I did that too when I was a kid. The spirit speaks to us, right? Um, And this is about having the courage to respond when the spirit calls you to do something. A lot of us, here's a nudge from the spirit and it kind of freaks us out, kind of scares us. And so we're like, I think that was the pizza I had last night. That wasn't the spirit. And then it comes back, right? So I'm like, I think the spirit may be saying to rest, but I'll deal with that later. I get sick. Uh, come back in. I hit my head. I have to slow down. I signed up for this leadership thing, and uh, they send you a book every month with a little guide to follow along. What's the name of the book that I got this month? Literally three days ago. It's called Rest. I'm like, I get it. I get it. But at some point, I got to read the book, and I got to do the thing, Right? And make no mistake, if the Spirit calls you to do something and you say no, it's not like the kingdom of God shuts down, right? There's a a government did not pass the budget and now there's no money and everybody said no. He goes, okay, I'll go to somebody else. But you miss out on an opportunity to train up in righteousness. Make sense? And that's part of obedience is part of that training up in righteousness and practicing righteousness. And sometimes when God's Spirit speaks and asks you to respond, other people, they're not going to get it. It's going to sound weird. It's going to sound crazy. Uh, and you just got to keep plowing forward. Years ago, I was on staff at this church. Things were going great. 
we had just bought a new house. We had had a baby recently. Uh, we were building a brand new facility at this church. Things were going great. And right as it was going the best, this always seems to happen. The Spirit said, I want you to move to Chicago. And I'm like, I know. I did. So I avoided it for three months, and then it kept coming back. And God was like, I want you to go to Chicago. And I did. And I had several friends that said, you just made the dumbest move of your life. I could have retired at this church, but I just... I felt like God was calling me to something else. And then in Illinois, we went through a pretty rough season toward the end, and we decided we're going to go to Florida for a couple of years. I'm just going to work my business and just sort of rest and heal. And a lot of people were like, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah, what, this is what the Spirit's saying to do. So I did. And then I got an email from a guy named Ryan Paulson when I was in um, Florida, and we started talking about this executive pastor position. And I knew that, that this was something I should, should look at. We had this conversation, and today I'm, I'm in Colorado. But I, I listened to what the Spirit said, and I went. It's not always easy, but it's the right thing to do. When Noah's building the ark, imagine, it'd be like building an ark in Colorado. Big, huge boat. Eh, I don't see a river deep enough, a lake deep enough to need that. But in obedience, the Spirit said, do something, and he did. And all of, some, all of us have experienced the Spirit calling us forward into something, and I wonder what that might be for you. The last thing I want to say is that as we practice our righteousness, this is the word practice. You're not always going to get it right. I remember in high school, I was in track, and they did these, uh, I think, plyometrics. Is that where you're jumping up on the box? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's like, you have to jump up on this, like, wooden cube, and it gets progressively taller, and it's training you to be able to jump and get agility and all these sorts of things. And I can't tell you how many times I wiped out and just skinned up my shins. But I didn't stop. I had to keep going. And eventually, I got to where I could jump up on this box. Today, I'd probably break my neck if I tried to do that. But I was young. What could I say? Sometimes we're going to mess up on this journey. Sometimes we're going to say things we don't mean. Sometimes we're going to say things we regret. We're going to do things that don't feel really good. And as they say in the South, when you mess up, you got to fess up. So just own your journey. If you mess up, fess up. Say that with me. If you mess up, fess up. Look at your neighbor and say that. If you mess up, fess up. Sometimes we get judgmental or we prescribe for others what their spirituality is supposed to be like. We shouldn't be doing that. I love our, our board here at, at South. I, there's been times in meetings where someone is particularly passionate about something they're saying and maybe they came off a way they didn't intend to. And I've loved seeing someone look at another person and say, you know what, I didn't handle that well. Will you forgive me? They messed up and they fessed up. It's part of the journey and it's Okay. You're not always going to get it perfect. So we looked at a really important passage. We talked about how communion with God is the ultimate reward. And I sort of shared four ways to get there. Seeking God's kingdom first and engaging in healthy rhythms and practices and listening for the nudge of the Spirit and then the the scary part, having the courage to obey the Spirit. And now I want to spend just a couple of minutes asking this question, what about you? The last thing I want is for you to have listened to this talk and understand a little bit about the culture and understand what it says. You can exegete it perfectly, but if it doesn't do something transformative in you, then we've missed it. And my prayer is that the Spirit of God is calling every person in this room to take a step forward, to take a step or two toward communion with God and to take a step toward practicing your righteousness in a way um, that moves toward union with God and away from achievement and seeking the approval of others because, friends, that's a dead end every time. So I want to put a couple questions up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you just to look at those. What are ways I put on a show for the approval of others instead of the approval of the Father? 
We've all done this right now. Between you and God, ask that question. In what ways have I put on a show? And then what are one or two tangible things that I should do to make a shift toward having healthy motives and behaviors as I seek communion with God? For some of us, it's setting our intention in the morning with a sticky note or a reminder on our phone. For some of us, it's picking one or two practices and taking a step. For some of us, it's listening to the Spirit. It's posturing ourselves, putting time in our schedule, or even just our, our posture going, I'm here to receive. Here am I, Lord. And I'm convinced that in a room with this many people, that the last part is true, that the Spirit's been speaking to you about your next steps. And you've been going, I know you the in. And you're not listening. You don't want to hear it anymore. And I just want to invite you to train in righteousness. That's God's heartbeat for you. And so I just want to appeal, if that's you and the Spirit speaking, to just have the courage to obey. I know it's scary. But it's on the other side of that that we look back and see that God did something so unique in us that couldn't have been done in any other way. So I want to just give you a few moments in silence between you and God to ask those questions, to wrestle with those things. And then I'll pray. Lord, my prayer is that every person who's hearing this talk would have looked at these scriptures and have seen clearly the difference between working for others' approval or working for your approval. Lord, I just pray that the longing of our heart, that part of us that knows something is broken and wants so desperately to move toward wholeness, that part of us that's worked so hard in all of these ways to just be okay and to look okay, Lord, I pray you just crumble those walls. Strip away our kingdom. Let your glory shine. Let us fade. Let it be about you and your righteousness. Lord, I pray that everyone would see their role in this kingdom of God. Lord, that you would draw them to you. And that they would, they would know you. And they would be known. And I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Together, this church said, amen. amen. Let's just sing, uh, Be Thou My Vision. One more.